Take your Bibles, please, and turn to Psalm 51. That's where we are today, Psalm 51. We are returning to our series, uh, Tweets from King David. We're answering the question, if David had Twitter at his disposal, what would David tweet? That's the question we're answering, and thankfully we have the answer because we see uh, David, the author of so many of the Psalms. Here's the a key concept for today is you find Psalm 51, God will hear you when you call out for purity and pardon. Psalm 51 is our passage today, particularly we'll be, be looking at verses 10 to 12, but actually, as we look at the overview of this psalm, Psalm 51 is one of those psalms which gives us a, a circumstance where this psalm was composed. If you look at the beginning of the psalm, we see that this psalm is birthed out of the most awful chapter of the life of David. The worst thing that David ever did is noted for us as what gave rise to this psalm. In the very beginning, it says this, For the director of music, a psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery, with Bathsheba. How would you like it if the worst thing that you ever did was known by everyone for all time? I mean, no sin, except maybe for the sin of Adam and Eve, has received more press, has had more attention paid to it than the sin of David with Bathsheba. David not only commits adultery with Bathsheba, but then he conspires to hide the fact of that adultery by having her husband killed. And then he takes the pregnant Bathsheba as his wife and carries on as if nothing has happened. Until one day, Nathan the prophet comes to call. And he confronts King David with what he has done. And David's sin is exposed. And now the question will become, what will David do? What will David say now that the worst thing he's ever done is exposed? Will he deny it all? Will he take the fifth? Will he resort to the politician's non-admission admission of guilt? Something like, if at any time I have inadvertently been the cause of anyone's suffering, let me say to you today that should not have happened and I regret having done so. Or worse yet, I'm sorry that you're upset. That non-admission admission which makes it the fault of the innocent party, not the, not the guilty party. That's not what David will do. In fact, his response in the confrontation of Nathan is the tweet from King David today. Look at verse 10 and 11, 10 through 12 of Psalm 51. Here's David's response. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. David responds as we all should respond in moments like this. When our sin is obvious and it is confronting us, he responds seeking purity once again through repentance. 
Now let's roll back the tape, however. How could this happen? Because the events of the, in the life of King David turns out to be a warning for us all. And they're recorded for us in 2 Samuel chapter 11. It says this, In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. How could this most infamous of all sins in the life of David take place? How could it occur? Number one, it happened because David was not where he should have been. David, by this time in his life, has uh, come to a time of success, a time of comfort. And so by the 11th chapter of 2 Samuel, the comfortable king is enjoying a time of comfort and he's ignoring his duty. He's ignoring the fact that this was the time when kings go off to war. And guess what, David? There is a war on. But David reneges on his duty, even though he was called to be elsewhere. And the comfortable king stays home. The comfortable king refuses his duty. And as a result of that, David is not where he should be. He's in the wrong place at the wrong time. When you go where you shouldn't be, you're opening the door wide in your life to sin. When you do not go where you're supposed to be, you are opening the door wide in your life to sin. And David was not where he should have been. And the door was opening wide. Secondly, it happened because David was willing to take chances. Willing to take chances with his purity. 2 Samuel 11 verse 2 continues, One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around the roof of the palace, and from the roof he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. And David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, Isn't this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? David sent messengers to get her, and she came to him and he slept with her. David thinks to himself, why not? Why not look? Let's see what happens. He calls her to the palace and says, why not? Let's, let's see what happens. Bathsheba goes to the palace saying to herself, why not? Let's see what happens. And both David and Bathsheba are willing to take chances with their purity to place themselves in a compromising situation. But understand that this affair was not an accident. It happened, thirdly, because David made a deliberate choice to sin. No mistake about it. It was a conscious decision. Here we see a planned for, prepared for, consensual affair. David had come to the place in his life in these moments when he felt he was above God's moral law, that somehow it didn't apply to him anymore. This man who is such an inspiration to us of devotion to God at this point in his life just could not handle this pressure of temptation. And so he made a choice. And in the aftermath of it all, fourthly, David sought to escape the consequences of his choice. Because the story unfolds. Bathsheba is pregnant. And David calls Uriah, his, his, her husband, back from the battle that, that David should have been fighting. Back from that warfare, Uriah comes home and, and David calls him to come and take some R&R. He encourages Uriah to make a conjugal visit to his wife. 
But all the while, Uriah, a man of character, is thinking about his comrades in arms out there on the battlefield, suffering and dying where he was and maybe should have been. And he refuses to take the advantage of sleeping with his wife. So David goes to plan B. Plan B is to get Uriah drunk. Let's loosen this guy up a little bit. Let's, let's let him not be such a stick in the mud after all. So, but still, no deal. Uriah doesn't go for it. One author writes this. At this point in his life, Uriah drunk is a better man than David sober. And now David's getting a little desperate. Pretty soon, this secret is going to come out. It's just a matter of time. And so plan C, the most terrible plan of all, 2 Samuel 11, verse 14, in the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. In it, he wrote, put Uriah in the front line where the fighting is fiercest, then withdraw from him so he'll be struck down and die. And in cold blood, David sent Uriah knowing that he would be killed, sure to die. And David is now an adulterer, a schemer, and a murderer. These are the labels that King David wears. And none of this was foreseen when David decided that he could sit out this battle and not do his duty. None of this was foreseen the first time he leaned over the railing and took a look at Mrs. Uriah, and then a second look, and then a third look. None of this was foreseen. This was way further than David had planned on going. And the point of it is sin will always take you further than you plan on going. David wanted a fling, not a wife. Some amusement. Bathsheba wanted to feel a little flirty. She wanted to be desired. And she got a murdered husband and eventually a baby who dies. And for a while, it seemed like it was all going to fade into the background. Life went on. But then one day, the Lord spoke to the prophet. In 2 Samuel 12, it says, The Lord sent Nathan to David. That's just what David didn't want. But it's exactly what David needed. Most of all, God provided what David needed most of all. He needed confrontation. He needed an intervention. He needed someone who would be willing to speak truth to power. And Nathan came into the presence of the king. Nathan, at this point in history, was the most esteemed prophet uh, in the nation. And he comes before David, and in the form of a parable, he confronts the king. And the story that he tells in the parable is a story of a rich man who had an unexpected visitor come to call. And when it was time to prepare that visitor a meal, that rich man didn't take one of the animals of his flock, which were many in multitude, but he went to a neighbor who was a poor man and only had one lamb, and he took that one lamb of his neighbor and he made lamb chops for his friend who had come to call. And he served them to his guest. And David was enraged in the fact that this wasn't fair and it isn't right. And he demanded that that rich man who took advantage of that poor man be brought to justice. And Nathan looked at David and said, you are that man. You see, God was watching. He's watching today. God sees, and all is revealed. And in that moment, to David's eternal credit, the confrontation struck his heart. And David 
repented. And he writes this psalm that we look at today as an expression of his repentance, as a plea for forgiveness. In fact, if you look over the sweep of Psalm 51, the psalm divides itself up into six sections. I'm going to ask you just to scan through the psalm as I describe to you the sections. Verses 1 and 2, section 1, David appeals to God for forgiveness and cleansing. Verses 3 through 5 is section 2 where he explicitly confesses what he has done. Section 3 is verses 6 through 9. David reiterates his appeal with even stronger language saying that he wants to be cleansed and forgiven and made pure. In verses 10 through 13, which is part of our, our, our focus tweet today, he appeals for inner transformation. He wants now a purity within himself and a steadfast spirit and joy once again in the Lord. The fifth section is verses 14 through 17 when David asks God to enable his worship. And then the last 18 through 19, David prays for the people of God because he understands that his sin affects others. And so he prays outwardly. In that first section, we see David's hope. Right in the start of the psalm, we see David express his hope in his appeal to God that he will be forgiven. Look at verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgression. David counts on God's nature of love. He doesn't try to make excuses. He doesn't run from God like Adam and Eve thinking somehow they can hide from him. He simply says, God, don't treat me like I deserve to be treated. That's important. Because deep down, none of us want justice. All of us want mercy. David wants mercy. God, have mercy on me. Do it not because of who I am. Do it because of who you are. Do it because of your character, your character of unfailing love and compassion. Do it because of who you are. David has learned the lesson that we talked about a few weeks ago. And that lesson was about how Moses reiterates the way that God describes himself. And he's, as he receives the Ten Commandments for the second time, and he, re, he tells God describing himself as abounding in love and full of compassion. David has learned that lesson that we must learn. We must trust God to be that for us even when we have failed. He's saying, I don't deserve forgiveness, but God, you're in the business of giving people what they don't deserve. So forgive me. I want to sense and know that love and compassion. That's the first thing that David says. In the second section of the psalm, we see David's honesty. He doesn't try to shift blame. He doesn't make excuses. Psalm 51 verse 3 says this, For I know my transgressions, my sin is always before me. He takes ownership. Nowhere in this psalm does David bring up Bathsheba. Nowhere does he say, well, you know, she was a part of the action as well. And he doesn't fall prey to rationalizing like we see in the sin of Adam and Eve in the garden when Eve says, well, the snake, he, tripped, uh, he tricked me. And Adam says, well, that woman, she gave it to me. And matter of fact, God, you're the one who gave me the woman, so it's kind of your fault after all. 
No, all of this rationalization doesn't happen in David. He says, my, my transgression, my sin, it's before me. I recognize it. Ultimately, he sees that his sin not only is really his fault and his issue, but it's a sin against God, just as all of our sin is. It's not just that I took advantage of Bathsheba. It's not just that I was instrumental in the killing of Uriah. It's not just that I included other people in my scheme and so I have taken advantage of them as well. In verse 4, he says, I have sinned against you, God. My sin is against you. There's no downplaying that fact. This is who I am when I am left to myself. I will sin against you. Don't leave me to myself. In section 3, David heightens his plea. He digs in. He, he asks for very specific cleansing. In verse 7 it says, Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. I need to be cleansed. Hyssop is a flowery, bushing, bushy plant. It, it's kind of like a natural brush, if you will. Liquid clings to it. And David says, I want to I I be cleansed. Don't just erase the problem. Don't just make it go away. I feel dirty in your sight, God. So please cleanse me now. Wash me, not only on the outside, but wash me on the inside. And that goes to section 4 of the psalm, where verses 10 through 13, he, he, he asks for transformation within. Verse 10, create in me a pure heart, O God and renew a steadfast spirit within me. And here is where we see the evidence of true repentance. Here is where we see David wanting to make an about face and to experience a transformation in such a way that this is not going to raise its head again. Change me to the degree that I'm not going to struggle with this anymore. I'm never going to have to face this. I'll never be in this position. I want that kind of transformation. One of the things that impresses me about Psalm 51 is this is not the expression of a man who's sorry that he got caught. This is an expression of a man who's sorry for what he did and who he is and he wants to be changed from the inside out. The realization of what the sin has cost me in my life. And David expresses that desire. Section 5, David expresses a desire for renewed worship. Verse 15, O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. You see, David recognizes what we need to know. Sin and guilt will keep you from joyous worship. You may walk in and out of church. You may stand and sing the hymns. But sin and guilt will keep you from experiencing that joyful worship where God is encountered and God has constructed us knowing that this is what we need most of all. What blesses us completely is when we are able to encounter Him in worship. But sin and guilt will keep you from that. And so David is saying, I know that I'm missing that. I know I can't fool you. I know I can't trick you. I know I can't just pretend. I don't want to just go through the motions. So open my lips. Let me praise you again. Open my lips and let me encounter you again in worship. Make that experience of glorifying you something that I can enjoy once again. And then at the end of the psalm, we see David's concern for his people. Verse 18, In your good pleasure, make Zion prosper. 
build up the walls of Jerusalem. David recognizes that he affects other people. His life affects other people. And at the end of the psalm, this prayer of repentance, seeking forgiveness, his prayer moves out from himself and takes in those who are around him. If, if he is weak, Zion will be weak. If he is sinful, the people will be sinful. The history of Israel tells us over and over again that as the king went, so the nation went. Many of the kings that will follow David in the kingdom of Israel and Judah will have the words attached to their name, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord. And when the king has that phrase attached to his name, the people did evil in the sight of the Lord. And thus the nation was punished. And David is saying, allow my repentance to be an influence, to strengthen the faith of, of the people around me, to strengthen them with your blessing, God. Because I recognize that I affect others. And so do we all. All of us have a sphere of influence. All of us have influence somewhere to someone and if we are not where we need to be with the Lord, that influence is negative. And David prays, no, I, I, I want you to bless the people as well. And so Psalm 51 gives us this description of what repentance looks like. This description of what it means to truly turn around when confronted and repent of our sin. And we're so glad it's here because we need to learn these lessons as well. And so what are the lessons for fellow sinners when we are in a situation like this? Because all of us come to this place at some point in our life, over some issue in our life. Lesson number one is this. Reject rationalization. Reject rationalization. Somebody might confront you. Or maybe the Spirit confronts yourself within yourself. And people rationalize sin away all the time, including sexual sin, even this kind of sin, the sin of adultery. And they say, well, I know the Bible says what the Bible says about it. I know the Bible says that it's bad, but God understands my situation. Somehow my situation is different. It's not okay for some people, but for me, it's okay. No, it's not. If God in the Bible says that an attitude or an action is sinful, it is always sinful for everyone, everywhere, for all time. It never changes. It's never okay for somebody else. And sin will always cost you. Reject rationalization. David, thankfully, didn't try to rationalize. He didn't blame Bathsheba. He admitted his sin and he called out to God. And that is the beginning of healing. Rejecting rationalization. But it continues as we accept God's forgiveness. Because God is ready to forgive. And God does forgive David. This story is not all that uncommon. This kind of sin is all that, not all that uncommon. And sin in general, obviously. And, and, and God is ready to forgive us when we call on Him. Sometimes what happens is we just don't believe that. We don't trust that God is who He says He is, full of compassion and mercy and love, ready to forgive. But God tells us that this who, that's who He is over and over again in the Word. 
And if we admit our sin and come to God in repentance, He's ready to receive us. He's waiting to receive us, to grant forgiveness and grace and mercy. God wants to wash us whiter than snow. Sometimes we're not ready to accept that. Sin dirties us on the inside and out, but God is ready to provide cleansing forgiveness. But as He does that, here's the third step. We have to make a change. If we are truly repentant of sin, there must be a change in our lifestyle. It's not enough to say, God, forgive me, and then just continue on in the same direction. If you're involved in sexual sin, forgiveness and grace are available. We've got to stop rationalizing it away. We've got to be willing to come to God for forgiveness and healing and commit to a change of lifestyle. And when that is in place, which is what repentance is, purity can be found. And cleansing forgiveness can be ours. Well, David and Bathsheba, one day, will have a child together. And when that child is born, Nathan comes back to see the king. And when he comes back to see the king with the new baby, Nathan pronounces a name over that infant. And the name is Jedidiah. The Jedediah means beloved of God. In other words, Nathan is announcing that a new beginning has happened. A new start has arrived. Forgiveness has taken place. Beloved of God has been born. And you know that man by the name Solomon. From the ashes of this failure, a new start could come. God can rebuild our story. God can remake the journey that we are on. But we need to be willing to call out to Him for purity and pardon. And when we do, He says yes. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? I'm going to ask you to spend just a moment in silent prayer before the Lord. In what area of your life Do you need a fresh start? Just in these moments, call out to God. Determine to make a change. Lord, we thank you that you are always willing. We thank you that you are always waiting. And that you you are able to wash us clean as we repent and turn to you. Thank you for the example of David. A willingness to not reject confrontation, but to receive it from you and to be soft of heart. Help us, Lord, to be soft of heart and to receive the cleansing you will give. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.